it just fit me and I felt like I was standing taller. Everything about this experience that I think so many people who are cis take for granted because they get to just put on a pair of shoes, you know? And it's something so simple and basic. What is up, People First Leaders? My name is Chris Lin, and I am your advocate and host for the Leading People First podcast, where we are set to transform the workplace. Make sure you're subscribed so you can hear more from awesome leaders around the world on the effect that leadership has on the employee experience. It's so easy for us to sit back and be comfortable as leaders because learning and growing is tough. Yet those who have been discriminated against and those who have been marginalized have it even tougher and sometimes in the simplest ways that we aren't even aware of. I spoke with designer Nick Casey on the importance for leaders to get out of their comfort zones so they can create environments that allow individuals to stand tall in their own shoes. So slip on those work boots and let's dive in. I am very proud to have Nick Casey with me today on the Leading People First podcast, and I can't introduce them better than Vonice Reeder, who said, as a leader, Nick Casey is unapologetically fearless, creative, and innovative. They have the insight to not only contribute what's missing, but the heart to make it tangible. They bring people together in such a way that they don't realize the spirit of unity they're immersed in until they miss the warmth of its embrace. Nick walks in truth, taking as much responsibility for their wrongs as their rights, always willing to adapt, change, and grow. That is true leadership. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. Thank you so much. I'm actually stunned right now listening to that. I'm like, when did she say that? <laughs> she, uh, she sent it to me yesterday. So. Wow. I'm, I'm so, I'm blushing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm like still stunned. I'm speechless. <laughs> no, no worries. No worries. I'm glad to have you because you are someone who is doing some um, like absolutely incredible work absolutely incredible work just for so many people, you know, and, and one of the things that you do, and we'll just jump right into your background is, is that you started your journey into footwear because there was a lack of design and shoe sizes that you liked. And as you looked at, you know, the larger manufacturers, they essentially said that this niche wasn't worth it, right? This niche for, um, for people who are looking for what you were looking for, uh, was, not worth their time or the money that they said the profits were minimal. And for you, you said, well, it's not about the profit, but it's about the people. And this, that's why I think you're such a great people first leader. <laughs> and you have so, so many stories. You have so many parallel journeys in your own life between, you know, corporate job, uh, your corporate jobs, I should say, coming out your footwear, creating equality fashion week and your work within the LGBTQ community you know, reflecting on all of that work that you do and all of your experiences, can you tell me like, what are some of the major events that made you realize you were a people first leader? Hmm. I mean, I think when I think back and I look back to even just as a child, I feel like even I think in first grade, when I first moved to the United States and I didn't speak a lick of English, I remember there was a girl in my class who would always follow me around. And she spoke Cantonese so I could communicate with her at the time. And we became very good friends. 
And I often like think back to myself, like that has been a constant experience for me wherever I go is that I always end up having people who want to be in my company and I think who feel safe with me. And I, and I, I really attribute that to, I think, because I care a lot about people. And even though I'm, I don't think I'm a people person because I'm really direct and straightforward. I don't BS around. I don't do like, you know, water cooler chats at work and go drinking with coworkers. And I think I learned that there has, there has to be a nice blend of those things. But what will always make me, I think a natural leader that believes in people first is because I care about the people more than I care about the leadership. And it just makes me naturally lead people, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So then what does it mean to you to lead people first? To me, at least it means that whatever the goal is to whatever project or mission is that the outcome benefits the people, right? And so everything that I design, I create, I organize is always with the mission of how does it benefit the people? Yeah. The people who need it the most. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and to give some context to those who are listening, can you explain um, just a little bit about your story and um, specifically, you know, you coming out, uh, because I think that that's a, a critical piece before we go deeper into, into your work. Sure. I'm what they call a third culture kid, you know, and, and that means just a multi-layer of different cultures that make up who I am, you know, from being an immigrant, you know, born in Asia, migrating to the United States, speaking multiple languages, um, you know, growing up in with divorced parents and a stepfather that was uh, a G German Irish guy, you know, from Brooklyn um, to being queer and trans and now an entrepreneur, you know, it's just like this never ending, I feel like list of various cultural experiences that, that make up who I am. But I think what is beautiful about it despite all of the obstacles um, in all of those experiences is that it has helped really meld me into a, a person that has a lot of compassion and understanding of other people because I've been through a lot of it, you know? So mm -hmm. whether I get to talk to trans people, queer people, minorities or entrepreneurs, I have experienced that I have so much empathy and compassion to, to, you know, understand where they're coming from. And I think that really helps me be a good leader. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would agree 100%. And your work, you know, that, that you do with your footwear, right, is something that allows for more, I think, more inclusion, right, is, is your, you're allowing others to, um, I think, as you said it, you know, you're, you're really working toward more gender equality, right? Can you explain your belief in gender equality in regards to how your shoes are designed and how that will eventually feed into more equality in other ways of life, such as pay? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, growing up as a masculine presenting, you know, kid uh, assigned female at birth, um, 
I loved men's shoes and the way that they looked and the quality and the durability of them, you know? And I remember just spending so many years of my life wanting to wear men's shoes, but could never find one that would fit me. And the worst part was going into, you know, shoe stores or department stores and being told I was in the wrong area, being told I needed to go to the women's section, even though I felt like I did not present like a girl, you know? Um, and so as a trans person, you know, or a person of trans experience, it was very degrading and humiliating, you know, to be constantly told I was, I didn't belong there. And so for me, finally, it just, you know, I was working at Google at the time and, you know, Google's like my dream company to work at. And I just didn't feel like I was being fulfilled, you know, even though I love everyone I worked with and it's a great company, but I just needed to know that I was going to use my talents and my skills properly so that there was an actual impact, you know? And also I figured what's the worst that could happen? I have new shoes that actually finally fit me, right? So <laughs> it was a win-win either way. And, and again, you know, I think really what catapulted it was to hear actual shoe manufacturers and makers tell me that they know the need exists, but it wasn't worth it. And the irony of that is that it literally would cost them like pennies on a dollar to expand their sizing to be gender neutral or gender free so that like they can just really reproportion or not even proportion, but just scale, you know, the sizing to a larger variety so that, you know, instead of using like this cultural bias of like, oh, men need to have shoes that make their feet look bigger and women need to have shoes that make their feet look smaller, just have one proportion that allows people to just choose and, and try it. Does it fit or not? You know, like, I don't think feet really need to be that complicated <laughs> because no two feet are the same anyways, right? Yeah. No two men, like no cis, no two cis men have the same feet. No two cis women have the same feet. So why does it matter what gender you are when you wear a pair of shoes? You know, and, and to me, it was just really about control. Like they want to control how people present themselves. And I just felt like, no, like <laughs> it's time that we look at fashion in a way that is totally liberating and allows people to be their true authentic selves without being told what they can and cannot wear. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious, you talk about feeling liberated. How, how has this experience felt for you? Has it liberated you or has it, um, or have, you know, I'm, I'm just curious, yeah, what you are taking or have taken away from doing this and being on this journey? Well, it's, it's definitely liberated my soul, but not my pockets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I remember the first time I put on one of my first prototypes and, you know, I wanted to make sure I tested the hell out of them first before I brought them to market. And so I, I would wear them and test them. But the first time I really put a pair on with my logo on it and everything, I just remember this feeling of accomplishment, not only like accomplishment, but as an entrepreneur or a designer, but like an accomplishment as a human that I finally was wearing like a pair of shoes that fit my identity and my feet, you know? 
and they were comfortable and they just fit me and I felt like I was standing taller. I mean, there was just everything about this experience that I think so many people who are cis take for granted because they get to just put on a pair of shoes, you know? And it's something so simple and basic, but to a lot of people like me, it was like unheard of. It was so hard, you know? And I had so many clients who, you know, once I started producing shoes and selling them, clients would email me post or, you know, however they got in touch with me, write me letters like about how like finally they, they were walking tall, you know, like that thing, like walking in their own shoes. And it was just really amazing. That's beautiful to hear. Um, you know, and, and of course this, this podcast is tailored towards, you know, the, the people in working environments, the employee experience. And so when we talk about the workplace really quick, um, as you talk about, you know, being able to stand and really step into pun intended there, um, <laughs> like being able to step into your full self with your shoes, you know, I want to bring that for everyone. And I hope organizations and leaders want to bring that into their work environments. And yet we don't see that, right? I, I think the only, you know, really the, the big things that I've seen catch on in companies has been using pronouns and removing labels for bathrooms, right? Like right. having gender neutral bathrooms. Is there anything else that you think organizations or leaders within organizations can do to create that more inclusive environment for people who do identify as LGBTQ? Gosh, I, I think there's probably a ton of things um, that they do, uh, that they can do. Um, probably some off the top of my head is, is like, you know, when you were talking about this and the first thing I thought about was like when I, before I would transition and, you know, even before being at Google, I spent most of my professional life having anxiety when I would like have to present to an audience or like, you know, speaking up about something. And I, I think even at one point I would have, I had an anxiety attack once at work because I felt so muted all the time. You know, and I, I think one was because of the way people treated me, you know, either as a minority, as someone that was assigned female at birth, or as a queer person, that I was not seen, I was not heard. Um, and then the second part of that, I think, is that whole, my own gender dysphoria and like how I was maybe hiding or ashamed to be in, in the body because this was pre-transition, right? So all of those things I think makes for a very unpleasant experience, you know, a very unpleasant life. And I think companies can really be mindful about that, you know, instead of like waiting for someone to ask, they should be mindful enough or have people who are trained to be inclusive and mindful for you so that you don't have to always be the one to speak up because it is very hard, very hard to be the one to speak up all the time, you know? And not everyone feels safe doing that. You know, I, I think that I'm lucky that I don't give a shit. So I always try to speak up when I can. And I think that 
once I left Google and really like found myself, started my company, you know, started wearing my own footwear and then transition and all of these things that helped me finally be the person that I wanted to be, I felt like I could really, really speak loud, you know? Yeah. And, and I feel very blessed because I feel safe enough to do that. Right. And I have experienced trauma and violence in my youth. So that I think that helped me not be afraid of it because I've already experienced it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so important for people who feel safe to speak up and be visible for those who can't. Right. But for the companies that, you know, have the resources and the funding, they need to ensure that they provide the space that's safe for people to be able to speak up and be visible. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think that there's, you know, individually, us as individual leaders, regardless of title, we can do a lot to learn, right? Um, and to, to become more inclusive, to create environments that are safe and allow people to step into their own selves. And, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, right? Like for me, um, conversations around queerness, around um, the LGBTQ community has been awkward for me because, you know, me personally, I have just not been around in those communities for, for extended amounts of time. So, you know, it, it's, it can be difficult, right. but we have to immerse ourselves. We have to work and really push our boundaries. And, and, and this is, you know, I, that makes it sound like I'm bragging, but I'm not, I mean, like we, <laughs> we have, you know, I, I, you know, for me, I need to have more interactions like this with you and me, I need to have inter- more interactions. And I think that that's something that you've talked about in the past is, you know, you wanted to have more experiences and understand other people's perspectives mm-hmm. so far as to like, go out of your way to, you know, go on an app and, you know, talk to cisgendered straight right. men, right? Like, I, I think that that's so important is like, we have to expand our scope. We have to expand our experience. And it's so important. And the thing is, we, as humans, we're always like, to, to try and simplify things, we're always trying to put things into buckets. We're always trying to put people in the categories. And, and the thing that I loved, absolutely loved was this quote that you, or you said this on a, another podcast was, it doesn't matter what you think, what matters is what I think about myself. We should find out about how people identify and feel about themselves and then accept them as truth. And that's it. And I, I thought that was so, so powerful. Like we just need, like, regardless of how you identify from a sexuality standpoint, how you, you know, identify, you know, or as uh, from a physiological standpoint, whatever it is, a people first leader, a good human leader should just accept that person as who they are and let it be. Mm -hmm. Right. And I I just thought that I was, I thought it was so beautiful. I just had to share it. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's funny too, because when, when I think about that, to me, it's a no-brainer, you know, and and it astounds me to think that like it could be a thought that did not occur to people, because I don't really understand why it wouldn't be. Because if we all ask ourselves, 
Isn't that all what we want? So why would we expect it different for other people, right? And I think that's, you know, I, I don't think I aimed to be a leader. You know, I don't think I set out to be one, um, but I think that we all can be leaders. You know, we all have the capacity to be leaders if we just stopped and really think about what's important for people, you know? And, and I think a lot of that is to reflect what our needs are and what we want, but not let that be the focus. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, I mean, I really think that it's so important. We all like live in our little bubbles and then we're constantly trying to like put everybody else in their own little bubbles when really like we need to just break all of those bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like a pandemic is a perfect example of finally people desiring because they've been forced to be in isolation that they're like, oh, at this point, I'll hang out with anyone. You know? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, really like that should have always been the mentality is like we're all humans and we all need affection and love and understanding and compassion and really just we need to communicate, we need to learn, we need to have dialogue, you know, and it's just so important. And, and I think part of it is like, even you talking about like, you don't, you aren't exposed to enough queer folks. So of course, yeah, therefore you're not gonna have enough understanding. And I think that sometimes a lot of, you know, mainstream cis hetero folks like are afraid to ask, or like there's the other spectrum, which is like all they do is ask instead of doing any of their own research. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's got to be a really good blend. You know, there's folks who are willing to educate like me, like I'm always willing to, even though it does get very exhausting and it should not be my obligated like job to do so. Um, but I, I think that it makes me feel good, you know, to educate folks because now I know this person knows that there's one more person that they can go to for support. Mm-hmm. And and hopefully they're going to pay that forward and educate somebody else. And exponentially, this could change the world. If I just educate one person, you know, it reminds me of um, when I got my DMV, my, my uh, driver's license um, updated to gender X. Like it was like January 4th, the year that it passed. I was like, I'm going to get there. And, um, and I show up the, at the DMV and the lady at the counter, you could see like she just, she kept wanting to ask me something, but she, she would hold back. She would want to ask and hold back. And, and finally, I was just like, if you have any questions, feel free to ask. I'm okay with it. You have my permission, you know? And, uh, and she's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah. You know, she's like, I've never done this before. I don't understand it. And this is the DMV lady. You would think like they would have trained everyone, you know, like, people are going to be coming in for this right and and no one had done it yet in that dmv and and so i was like okay ask away and and i took i think i was there for over an hour and a half almost two hours and just chatting with her you know and explaining to her like what gender non-binary is what trans is what gender expression versus identity is and all these things you know sexual orientation i mean i gave her like a full class basically and and in the end, she was so grateful, you know, she was so grateful 
and you can see like her light up, like she finally was understanding something. And she was so happy because now she knew that for every other person that's gonna be coming in to get their license updated, she was gonna know how to approach them, you know? And hopefully she helped educate the you know, other employees there. Um, but not everyone has that emotional bandwidth to educate, right? So that's why like, when I feel like I can, I always do because yeah. it's, it helps everybody. Yeah. Yeah, so you can reach out to me anytime. <laughs> well, I, every interaction that I've had with you, I've absolutely loved. So it, I won't even just, you know, reach out to you just to learn. I'm just going to reach out to you to just chat. So, <laughs> but, um, you know, speaking of that emotional, that bandwidth and, and, and having that education lens, you know, this year, this past year, whole year, not calendar year so far, but this whole last 12 months, we've seen a huge rise in the hate and violence towards the Asian Pacific Islander community. And as someone who um, is Asian, both you and I actually, um, you know, we've, se- we've had to educate more. And I think that that has been, I don't know about you, I- I'll just ask, you know, how, do you feel like that's been an extra emotional burden for you? Because not only are you are you having to, you know, talk about the queer side for for you, but also now the Asian side and all of the things that are happening there. So I mean, like the intersectionality for you is, I think it it, it doubles essentially when when you just put those two lenses together. How's that been for you? Yeah. Well, I mean, my my Asian identity has always been a lingering pain in my ass um, because since I was a child being an immigrant here, you know, I was bullied, I was picked on. And, you know, most of the time they were actually by other minority kids of different, you know, um, cultures. And as I've gotten older, I think what I've learned or realized is that like, they're you know, they, they talk about this hierarchy of minorities, you know, and we're like the, the model minority, blah, blah, blah. And, and I think culturally we are conditioned and raised to keep our head down, work really hard and, you know, quote unquote, succeed, whatever that means. Um, although I think in the Asian culture, that usually means some sort of monetary value. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've always felt silenced or unable to speak up about the fact that like I'm a minority, not just because I'm queer and trans, but because I'm Asian, you know? And people don't realize like, you know, when I was female presenting pre-transition and pre, you know, realizing I was queer and out, I was exoticized, right? And, and Asian women are exoticized. And and as an Asian trans male person or non-binary person, I am discriminated against. And, you know, then also we're, we're looked at as like weaker because we're, you know, smaller. And, and I think it's so interesting if you look at history, you know, the LA riots, anytime there has been social unrest you see the hierarchy of that 
minority system. And, and maybe people will disagree with me, but in my observation, I feel like the Asians are kind of the, the group that gets picked on by the other minorities because we're quiet and we're not totally outspoken and we put our heads down and we just work. Um, and it makes it very hard sometimes because there's no communication. The way I see it is we should all be working together because actually we're the majority, first of all, you know, and our common enemy is the white patriarchy. <laughs> so why aren't we working together to change the system, to improve the system, to reinvent the system, like whatever it takes, instead of picking on each other and using each other as scapegoats, you yeah. know, because I, I feel like, you know, instead of when you look at the stereotypes that Asians get, like, okay, if you think we're intelligent, don't you think working with us would be better? <laughs> you know, then, you know, like we, maybe we can help, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I just, it's, it's so hard. It's something that I, I've been, it has been eating away at me for the last year. And I've had a hard time really articulating the feelings that I have about it because you also don't want to say the wrong thing because I don't, I'm not trying to put other people down because that's not how I feel, you know, but I feel like sometimes because everybody is so heightened in their senses right now and sensitive that you have to be so mindful about what you say and how you say it. I was um, assigned moderator for a Facebook group that was Asians for Black Lives Matter. And one of the observations that I made, cause I, you know, I, I was very sick uh, at the time. And so I was not very active in the group, but I helped moderate to ensure that people were given voices, right? And, and what I noticed was that in the beginning when the group started, all of the Asians that were in the group were very active, very vocal, talking about like, yes, we need to support, we need to stand with our black and brown brothers and sisters, and we have to, you know, um, show up and be vocal, you know, because traditionally Asians are not, you know, we're not out mm -hmm. in the street protesting with, you know, our black siblings, right? So yes, I, and I was very inspired by that change. And I was like, yes, absolutely. Like, I've been there as a queer person. <laughs> as a queer person, I show up to everybody's protests and marches. Not everybody shows up to mine, but that's neither here nor there, right? Like I don't do it because I, I want reciprocation. I do it because I believe in it. It would be nice if it was reciprocated. Right. And trust me, I give uh, even my, you know, cisgendered queer friends shit for not showing up to trans marches because I'm like, I show up to everybody else's, right? Um, but in this group, what I noticed was once we started inviting the black community to help educate us and, and tell us like how we can help or to you know help just create communication, what I saw was that there was a certain sense of defensiveness, even when like there was not the intention of arguments or disruption or disagreements, but somehow 
people were carrying the baggage that they were already holding and bringing it into the group so that instead of working together, it kind of, it kind of caused a, a ripple effect of like silence for, from the Asian community again, mm. you know? And, and I, I think I tried like once or twice to like kind of chime in to like get people talking and understand one another instead of like pointing fingers and attacking. But I think social media has, you know, a tendency to create discord <laughs> when it really should give people an opportunity to communicate and create harmony and understanding, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that that it, the reason I bring that up is I really think it's innate. It's so innate into our the way that we are conditioned to be in our cultures and how our cultures are so different that it it does create sometimes a barrier into this collaboration that I would like to see. Yeah. But I believe that it's changing, you know, as every generation of Asians and all the different, you know, cultures that there becomes a, a, a bigger melting pot so that I think better communication can be achieved. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, man, there's so much to unpack there, but I, I yeah, exactly. yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah. You're good. Um, I, I want to, um, first again, for those who are listening, who are looking at, well, like what, what does this mean for me at my place of work? What does this mean to the employee experience? If you're a leader in your organization, you I think, again, you just need to know as you implement solutions that there are these racial tensions there. And the best thing to do is to just acknowledge them, right? So I, I, that, that's first. The other is, you know, even within our own identifying communities, we need to show each other grace. This whole tiptoey around thing just it just can't work it doesn't work anymore right before it was like don't talk about anything that will like cause a ruckus don't talk about political things and now we are not comfortable talking about things that are uncomfortable but now it's like well because of this cancel culture we can't talk about anything because you know everyone is so sensitive but it's like no there's a difference like there's also a difference between canceling and holding people accountable right um that that I just heard from Jerry Wan, by the way, um, if you're not following him, you need to follow him. But, um, you know, there, there's a difference between holding someone accountable and canceling them. But at the same time, know that we're going to step on each other's toes. Right. Know that we're going to say the wrong thing. Because again, we're all learning. We're all unlearning. We have so much unlearning to do mm-hmm. because we've been like, we've been, conditioned our whole lives to think one way about another group about how things work in the world so we have we have a lot to do there as well um and then again like you said we have to collaborate we have to find ways of collaboration and that will segue me into the you know the last uh thing i want to talk about going back to your shoes and your work around uh your most recent drop which i have to shout out which is your proud as fuck shoes um no joke, as I was preparing for this, this call, this, this interview, 
I saw these and like my jaw dropped. I was like, oh my God, these are, these things are so fresh. So can you, Nick, can you tell, tell everyone who's listening about these shoes and, um, and why you designed them the way you did? Sure. Um, first of all, thank you. Uh, I'm flattered. <laughs> um, Proud as fuck is really an ode to my, you know, identity as a trans person and queer and celebrating the pride that I have for being able to be who I am authentically every day and hoping that it inspires other people to not only be proud, but also to be visible and to inspire allies to be visible as allies, you know, because I think, you know, even going back into the discussion of like, how, how do you um, be inclusive, you know, whether at workplace or just in daily life, I think a lot of times people are very performative with it instead of really truly being inclusive. And so what better way to really show allyship and pride by literally walking your way every day in, in a pair of shoes that are very obviously trans colors, you know? Um, and that's really kind of like the whole model of the brand is about walking your way. And walking your way doesn't mean like just as a queer person, but just as somebody who believes in a better world, you know, where people love one another and are kind to one another and want to support one another, right? And, you know, companies, since your audience is, you know, more uh, work-related, companies have started to put like pronouns, you know, in their signatures and whatnot, and that's great, but it doesn't really make a difference if they don't actually use it, right? So like in meetings, in, you know, calls, introduce yourself with your name and your pronouns. If you're on a Zoom, like for example, like I have my pronouns in my name, you know, and if everyone starts doing that, it normalizes it. If everyone who is cisgendered starts introducing themselves and includes their pro pronouns, you know, I'm sure most people are like, well, why do I need to? Well, exactly. The fact that you think you don't need to is, is why it's not normalized, right? So if everyone started doing that, then folks who are not cis would feel safe and comfortable to express who they are and how they identify. And to me, that's just a, such a simple solution, right? But a lot of people just don't remember to do it. And certain things like if you get somebody's pronoun wrong, I think one of the things that always irks me is when someone just like goes out of their way to like apologize and then it turns into a big thing about them, you know? And I'm just like, just say sorry and move on and don't do it again, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just so many things that people who want to be allies and inclusive to a diverse environment can do. I'll, I'll end with this really great story that I love to tell. A really close friend of mine, her name is Nikki. She, this was before I got to know her very well. I just had met her and started hanging out. And, you know, she knew how I identified and I had said something in passing about how it's really hard for me to just even go to the bathroom because I don't fit anywhere, right? If bathrooms are only men and women's rooms, 
If I go to the women's room, I have literally been chased down Heathrow Airport by security because they saw me walking into a women's room. Mm-hmm. And, and if it's a men's room, I remember like in almost every men's bathroom I've gone to that was maybe in a straight uh, place or even in a queer place once, like men are like clocking me. Like they know something's up, you know, I wasn't passable. And so then you don't feel safe, right? So I had told her this. And so we were at this bar in West Hollywood and I happened to be like, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. And she's like, oh yeah, me too. And she just goes with me and we go to the bathroom waiting in line and then it's my turn or no, it's actually, you know, wait, it was my turn, yes. So I went, went in and then, you know, I did my thing. And then when I went out, I was like, oh, your turn. And she's like, oh, I don't have to go. And then I, I was like, okay. And I thought it was really weird because I was like, you said you had to go. But as we were walking back to our table, I realized she had done something no one else had ever done in my life. She was being an ally in a way that I never experienced. She didn't make it about herself. She didn't even clue me into the fact that she was getting my back, making sure I was safe. You know, but she was there and she she walked with me and she went and she waited, you know, and and I just thought that was such a beautiful thing, such a beautiful gesture, you know, that now we're like best of friends, you know, I love her to death, you know. And I think that if people stop and really think about how they can be an ally to somebody, start with somebody you know first, that you love and care about, and then the rest just will come naturally, you know? Yeah. That is a beautiful, beautiful story. I absolutely love that. Um, yeah, so that gives me a lot to think about. And um, this is a this is a learning thing. We're still all on this journey together is what I like to remind people is we're not going to get it right every time or all the time, I should say. Yeah. But this is something that we, are, we have to continually learn and grow and do, right? And so um, I, I, I really love that. Um, and it's so important, like, even when you get it wrong, it's like, don't get defensive. Because I've had so many people who, like, if they got my pronoun wrong and I corrected them, you know, they're like, they play it all, oh, I'm old, or like, oh, there's so many, so many labels and so many things. And it's like, that does not make me feel better. You know, you're kind of invalidating how I feel right now. Yeah. Right? Just accept people for who they are. Like, I don't understand, you know, like, yeah. if, if you tell me you're a man, I'm not like, ugh why you know why do you have to be a man you know like <laughs> right? like people don't yeah. do that so why do they have to do that like if i'm like my name is nick or like my my pronouns are that you know what i mean like i'm not asking you to understand me i'm asking you to accept me yeah here I'll, I'll i'll use an example that i think a lot of people could maybe relate to right is when you use um prefixes right mm-hmm. you know Growing up, it was, you know, you called certain people, you know, you called Mr., Mrs., or Miss. Mm-hmm. Same thing, right? Like, it's like someone says, you know, I, you know, you, you, I, I grew up uh, in, or I did retail and food service. And that cardinal rule is like, never call a woman Mrs., right? You always mm-hmm. call them Miss because it like makes them feel better. But Some of them would say like, you know what? No, I'm not a miss anymore. Like I'm a missus. Right. And so, you know, if they come back, if they're a return customer, then you learn same thing, right? Like you just say, oh, okay. Acknowledge it. Great. Sorry about that. And then move on, like move on with your day. Like that's how I see it. (laughs) Another example, when I was a kid, you know, like back when, you know, 
Domino's Pizza or whatever companies would call you on your home line to have, we have a late, latest promo, you know? And so I, we, our family had gotten a call. I think I was probably in high school at the time. And the call was, you know, I think it was a pizza place with the, with the promo. And I remember my mom asking like, who, who was that? Who are they? What did they want? And I always use it as an example when I speak, you know, um, at like events about inclusion. And I said, back then, this was like, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, you know, it was totally okay that she used they because she did not know the gender of the person that I was speaking to. So why is it that we have problems now with that? Right? Mm, yeah. Right? You, you don't assume if you can't see that person. So why is it okay to assume if you see them? Or even if it's just their name, like names, like Pat. Remember when Pat was a character that was like androgynous, you know? Mm-hmm. Like we need to start being mindful that you can't judge a book by its cover. You do not know how somebody identifies on the inside by just looking at them on the outside. Yeah. So don't assign somebody a gender, you know? Yeah. Ask so, them and if they tell you, tell you what it is, like believe them. Yeah. Yeah, just let, let it, again, first, you know, if you're awkward about asking, just ask. And then second, just once they let you know, they just let, I would like to suggest that instead of being awkward and asking, I always say, offer your pronoun first. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Much, much better. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I, I, I did not mean for that to be like a, Hey, what's your pro? Like, how do you identify? Like, yeah, sorry. That came off a bit. Uh, because people do it all the time you know so it's definitely something that people should be reminded about and educated about offer yours first because then you're giving the signal that they're in a safe place to tell you theirs beautiful beautiful nick thank you again so much um before we go what is the impact that you want to have on those that you lead um well speaking of impact i think i forgot to answer one of your questions earlier which was how my journey in my shoes like will change, lead to equality and equity, right? So one of the ways that I realized the way I like to lead, and this has evolved throughout my life from a young person, you know, from being like leader of a team to like now, you know, creating events that really welcome large amounts of people to be inspired by. And I I think that for me, I realized that I want to lead by inspiring, not telling, you know? And one example that I use is that, for example, my shoes. If, you know, what's your wife's name? Marissa. Marissa. So if you and Marissa all love my proudest fuck shoes and you both get a pair and you're getting the same quality, you know, same design for the same price, same durability, all those things, eventually it will lead you into wondering, well, if, if Marissa's spending the same amount as I am, why isn't she making the same amount? You know, and so I, I hope that my stuff, because they're gender free, allows people that eventual, you know, acknowledgement of like, hey, if we're all buying everything for the same price, we should all be making the same amount of money, you know? And, and I mean that in, in an equitable, like gender equality way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so 
that's how I think I lead in all of the ways that I, I, I work is that I want to just inspire people to think in a way that will help the world be better. Absolutely beautiful. Well, I wanted to read one more word of praise from Ariel Macaron, who said, I was fortunate enough to be included on the board of the directors for The Queer 26, a nonprofit focused dedicated to the professional growth of queer creatives of color. Although although this was my first time meeting Nick, I quickly saw why they are going to be an asset. Nick's knowledge and experience, which is abundant to say the least, adds a really interesting mixture of patience and pragmatism. Because they're already familiar with the ins and outs of numerous industries, their insight helps to pare down the tangible steps we can take to make a project successful. At the same time, Nick often steps back and allows everyone to offer input before making a recommendation. I really appreciate that because it creates a space for growth and fluid leadership. I'm very fortunate to be able to work with and learn from Nick. So Nick, thank you again so much for the amazing work <laughs> that you're I doing. All this praise. <laughs> <laughs> Accept it, bask in it. Yeah, thank you so much um, for inviting me. And I love chatting always um, with, with you and, and just talking about life and how we can all make the world better together because we're all in this together. And uh, I wanna leave with one recommendation for everyone, not just only because I'm on the board, a new, a new board member of Trans Can Work, but because your listeners are from the corporate world is that if they want to be inclusive, one of the first thing is education. And Trans Can Work is a or- nonprofit organization that can help with that. So check it out. Wonderful. I was just about to ask you, like, what would you like people to do next? And that's yeah. a great way to do it. And um, where would you, where can people find your amazing shoes? Because again, they I think people need to see them, especially the proud as fuck. <laughs> they can go to nickcasey.com and uh, they'll see all of my designs. And I also, because of the pandemic, uh, started a curated collection, which are designs that I really like that I did not design, but I feel are in the same aesthetic and the same utility as uh, the stuff that I like to design. Awesome. Well, Nick, thank you again so much. It's been a pleasure having you and I'm so glad that we could talk some more. Yes, likewise. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Leading People First podcast. If you liked this episode, click subscribe and hit the share button to send it to someone who needs to hear Nick's story. And if you want to check out Nick's shoes, you can actually watch me unbox a pair with Nick on our YouTube channel, or you can get your own at nickcasey.com. Let's keep this conversation going by telling me what you learned or loved from this episode on LinkedIn or Instagram. Thanks again for tuning in. Keep leading people first and stay awesome.